Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 20. The Hypercost. Everyone set about their tasks. The two badgers almost danced down the corridor, so happy they were with their digging opportunity. James needed his bag and ran all the way back up to the crow's nest to retrieve it. Breathing heavy by the time he reached the third set of stairs, he was reminded yet again of Jenny's remarks about his fitness. Once this adventure was over, he really would have to start playing football or rugby. The jazz quartet were coming onto stage and Benj was concentrating on the lights. James waited until the quartet had started playing, then grabbed his bag, told Benj that there was a costume emergency he needed to help fix, and ran all the way back down to the prince's tunnel. By the time he'd reached the far end, Jenny caught him up with a huge bag of popcorn under each arm. She was being followed by a whole load of the Green Hands gang. Wow, James was impressed. You stole that quickly. Stole it, Laurie snorted through a mouthful of popcorn. We just asked if they had any spare to donate to the backstage acts. They told us to help ourselves. They went single file through the pantry and into the pavilion's basement. It was deserted, but now, next to the dumbwaiter hatch, was a large pile of rubble in front of a big hole that disappeared steeply up towards the surface. Grunting, scraping, and not a small amount of swearing was following even more soil and chalk out of the hole and onto the pile. James checked his watch again. They did not have much time left. A few curse words later, and a rather less-than-fancy-looking badger emerged. The king was breathing heavy rasps, with a look of childish glee on his pointed furry face. "'Nothing beats a good old dig of an evening,' he roared. "'This tunnel goes right up to the front door, my lad. Annie is clearing up an offshoot that will head to the centre of that rink.' "'Great,' James said. "'Is it safe for us to climb up?' "'Safe?' roared the badger, giving James such a pat on the back that he was almost winded. That tunnel'll last a hundred year or more. Follow me, gang, James said, and try and be quiet. When we get to the top, I want everyone to stay low and spread out round the side of the ice rink. James stooped into the hole and climbed up the steep rubble tunnel to the lawn in front of the pavilion. He crawled out into the light and onto the damp grass. The morning mist had cleared, but they were hidden by the side of the rink. He waved the rest of the gang up, and they crouched together. The ice rink filled the whole of the pavilion's front lawn. The gang was squeezed between the edge of the rink and the old building itself. On the far side of the rink was an outside seating area right in front of a bar. Round from the bar was the skate hire and return, and some seats for changing. The whole bar and changing space was divided by glass walls and doors, and it looked busy inside. The timing was good. The ice-cleaning machine was just finishing its run. Other than that, the ice was clear. There were people putting on skates on benches at the far left, ready for the next skating session to begin. We need a distraction, James said. Hugo, you're the tallest. Can you run around to the bar area and then step through the bar door to the outside seating on my signal. Hugo nodded and crawled to the edge of the rink, then ran round to the entrance. Frank, Arlo, Wayland, and Mr. E 
You are the smallest. Can you sneak round to the tables outside the bar door? When Hugo comes out, this is what I want you to do. He gave them instructions and they scampered off. James spoke to the remaining gang members. Okay, spread out along this edge, James whispered, and on my signal, throw the popcorn into the rink. Try and get it out as far as you can. Then head straight back down the tunnel to the badgers. Jenny, Joe, Millie, Fred, Daniel, Wilf and Laurie moved into position. Each had two big bags of salty popcorn ready to throw onto the ice. They were sure to get into trouble. But if the distraction worked, they should be able to disappear before anyone could round them up. James crawled through the wet grass to the far corner of the rink. When the cleaning machine was just parking, he raised his head and saw Hugo standing on the far side of the bar's glass door. James raised his hand and Hugo pushed through the door. It's the prince, Frank shouted from a table nearby. The prince is here. A few heads turned to look at Hugo, who looked round to see who the boys were talking about. He's right, Mr. E joined in. It's the Duke of Sussex. The four children stood up and started to sing. God save our gracious queen. Hugo still looked confused, but a few more people stood up to see what was going on. It was all the distraction James needed. Now, he whispered, lifting his popcorn and nodding at the rest of the gang. The children stood and cast the popcorn over the side and into the rink. It skidded out across the smooth ice, giving as even a covering as James could have hoped for. The timing was perfect. The next set of skaters were distracted by the terrible rendition of the national anthem at the bar. No one seemed to notice the salted popcorn that was now covering the ice rink. While the gang crawled back to the tunnel and made their escape, James stood up and pulled the quill feather and got ready to stick it into his woolly hat. He needed the falcon for his plan, but didn't want it to arrive too soon. The effect of the popcorn was terrific. From a tree overlooking the old steen, just over the road from the ice rink, a dirty grey bird bobbed its head in interest and fluttered down to the ice. And then another. Within a matter of seconds, dozens of plump grey pigeons were pecking greedily at the popcorn, their number growing rapidly. And before anyone at the rink had time to react, there were so many birds that you couldn't even see a square inch of the ice underneath. James took the feather and stuck it into his hat. He ran round to the side of the rink closest the road and could just make out the top corner of Sussex Heights. He held his fingers crossed and waited. Finally, one of the rink staff caught on to the avian invasion and burst out of the door nearest the boot hire desk, waving her arms madly. Shoo! Shoo! she shouted. But the birds were not interested in a human waving arms. There was popcorn to be gobbled, and salty corn too, a pigeon's delight. Jeff, the girl called, start the Zamboni and clear these birds away, will you? The next session's about to start. Jeff, who had only just put the ice-cleaning machine away, shook his head and then slowly climbed back up to get it started again. James began to worry. The birds might not care about humans shouting and waving, but they would be less happy with the Zamboni, and by now the corn was starting to run low. Along with the rumble of the engine on the ice came a high-pitched whistle. 
then the hard beat of wings decelerating fast. Before James could look up, the peregrine falcon was perched on the side of the rink. You called? the falcon said, a hint of sarcasm in its voice. It doesn't look much like an emergency. Just a bunch of fat pigeons having a skate. The pavilion's on fire, James explained. The bird turned its head to look at the building. Underground, James said. We're putting it out with the ice water. But I need these pigeons to stay put for a few more minutes. Is that all you need me for? A glorified jailer? the bird scoffed. Can you do it? Yes, sighed the bird. But they don't look like they're going anywhere soon. I think they'll try, James said, when the Zamboni gets moving. Please hold them here for the next five minutes if you can. Okay. But please put the feather away. It's making me nervous having it out on display. Nervous, James thought, putting the feather away. Clearly the falcon knew the feather was part of the key to the air. The Zamboni machine moved slowly toward the pigeons. Come on, Jeff, clear them off. The next session's supposed to start. Yeah, yeah. Jeff didn't look too excited to be pigeon clearing during his break time. He inched towards the edge of the rink and then gave a little toot on the machine's horn. It was loud enough to make James jump, and a couple hundred pigeons took off as one, wings drumming hard against the ice to get away. But the falcon was one step ahead, and beat the lazy grey birds into the air before any of them had even cleared the sides of the rink. It hovered above them menacingly. Whether they could see it, hear it, or just sense it somehow, the entire flock knew the falcon was there, and dropped down in sheer terror, desperate to avoid being caught in the vicious yellow talons. Once the birds landed, the falcon took a position atop the bar, looking attentively at the yard birds before it. Jeff tried the horn again, a longer burst this time. Only a few pigeons attempted to escape. One almost made it out, but the falcon caught it up easily and gave it a sharp clip on the beak with a talon. The third blast of the horn was even longer, but produced no more effect than the nearest birds hopping around a little. James's plan was working. Just sweep the dopey sods off the ice, came the voice from the far end. It'll kill them, Jeff responded, and leave nasty red smears. We're just going to have to wait until they roost, or something. Maybe we need to find a cat? You're useless, she said, and stomped back inside. Confident that the birds' warm bodies were going to be on the ice for the next few minutes at least, James crawled back around to the tunnel and slid down it head first. How's it looking? James asked when he joined the others. Like a good old Roman-style hypercost, the king chortled. We've dug a few extra holes out from the main shaft, the priestess explained. They lead from the rink down to the dumbwaiter, so the hot air from the fire is now directly heating lots of spots of ice. Is it working? Listen, Joe said. Everyone went quiet. There was a trickle, like the sound of a small stream coming from the dumbwaiter. As they listened, the trickle got louder. Then there was an angry hissing noise, and then... Stand back! the king roared, shielding the group from the dumbwaiter hatch with a giant paw and holding the hatch itself closed with a foot. A surge of steam whistled its way out of the gaps in the hatch. Should have predicted that, the king remarked. Like using a ladle in a sauna. That should help get the rest of the ice melted too. The badger was right. 
the sound of the stream turned into a torrent. There was no more hissing or steam or smoke. The fire was out. Well, I think that just about sorts that one out, the badger said jovially. Now, shall we endure the second half, my dear? With pleasure, the priestess said, and they walked paw in paw back to the passage to the dome. James looked around. Jenny had already left. It was time to get back to the crow's nest. He arrived back to the lighting booth, breathless, damp and muddy. The interval was still going, but people had begun to return to their seats. Benj looked at him with a puzzled expression. "'Did you get it fixed, then?' the lighting engineer asked. "'What?' James wondered if Benj somehow knew about the fire after all. "'The costume malfunction you had to run off and fix.' "'Oh, that!' James said. Just had to use a bit of mud to change the colour. Easy, really. Benj tutted, then said, Great. You ready for the main event? James nodded enthusiastically. Let's light it up. James didn't really remember anything about how the dance went. He was so preoccupied with watching the lights. He did remember the applause, though. The Patcham dancers got the largest cheers of the performance. That was some next-level lighting, Benj said, giving him a punch on the shoulder. Feel free to come up and help out again in the future, whenever you want. James said he would, and that it might be a good idea for Benj to meet up with him at the Maker Club to go through the process. The next act started, and James excused himself from the lighting booth. <laughs>